Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast, and today we're going to do a dramatic reading of the Dark Knight screenplay on air. Chase, are you ready to rock this shit? Can't wait. How long do you think we can keep talking about Dark Knight on a weekly basis every three or four days? At least until you admit you're wrong about this, because you have no legs to stand on. There's no data that supports you. The listeners of this podcast don't support you. Roger Ebert doesn't support you. You got nothing. If you didn't catch Monday's episode of the show, uh, I don't want you to leave us here, but I would recommend pausing this, going back on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, whatever app you're using. Check out that one first. It's not that long. I think, what were we at, like 35, 40 minutes or so on that one? Uh, 36 minutes, it says. So we set the table in that episode for a multi-episode series. I don't know how many episodes we're going to be doing here. I originally pegged it at uh, three. Chase, you were saying maybe this is a five-part series, so we'll see. How many episodes we go here with your idea of breaking college football teams into neighborhoods as we enter a a new decade? And again, if you didn't listen to the last episode or you can't remember three days ago, which is a problem in and of itself, we're not ranking the all-time programs here. I don't care if you won a national championship in the 50s. I don't even care if you won a national championship five years ago if your program sucks right now. We're not ranking teams. If you are Florida State, I don't care what you did. When do they win it? 20... 13, 13, 14. I think 13 was, 14 was playoffs. That was Ohio State. 13 was the last year. Anyways, we're not ranking the teams even entering 2020 here. We're ranking them with a decade-long outlook. And you had a really good line uh, on Monday when we were talking about specifically Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, those coaching situations. I said I was not at all confident that all three, any of those three really, any of those three coaches would be here in their current position a decade from now. And you said, yeah, well, that's just kind of getting into a territory that's hard to project. So we're not even projecting where these programs are going to be sitting entering 2030. We're just saying as we turn the page to a new decade here, where are they currently sitting right now? Before we get into more neighborhoods, uh, we we went through neighborhood one. We want to get into a little bit more of a disagreement that we had, even though I think I've come around to your logic on Oklahoma in that top neighborhood Uh, after you explain your thinking very simply. But please state again, if you wouldn't mind, why you crafted that first neighborhood, how you did, and why you believe Oklahoma is in that group. Sure. My idea, I think, for what the top neighborhood in this discussion has to look like is every year you're competing for a national championship. And I'm not talking about how the coach and the SID and the athletic director put out a press release about how Every year we want to compete for national championships. That's nice. We don't really care about that. Like over here in reality, there are only a couple teams that year in and year out are in position to compete and are actually putting in the work and have the results to prove that they're competing for a national championship every year. And that ranges from Clemson and Alabama, who actually have won multiple titles in the last decade, down to what I believe is Ohio State and Oklahoma, which have had less success, and in the case of Oklahoma, haven't won a playoff-era national championship, but 
they are consistently at that top level where they're in position to go after it every year. And so they don't have the same success as Clemson and Alabama, but I think you have to put them in that top level. And there's obviously a gap between Alabama, Clemson, and then Oklahoma. I mean, it's a huge, huge gap, but there's also a gap between Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. It's not as big, but Ohio State is very clearly in that top tier with them, but there is still a gap there. I mean, unless we're talking about, you asked me last um, last on Monday, how many neighborhoods I thought we were going to create here, and we both have no idea. You kind of just threw out six there, but unless we're creating like 50 or 60 neighborhoods, there's going to be gaps, and I think you nailed it with the neighborhood usage, that there are bigger, better, more structurally sound houses in a neighborhood. I mean, they have the heated tile in the bathroom, right? They have the high-end finishes. Yeah, they have has, the, they've got the rain machine in the shower. Exactly. They have the wine cellar. I mean, Alabama has the indoor basketball court. In Oklahoma, they got a really nice-ass house down there with Lincoln Riley, but maybe it doesn't have the rain shower. Maybe it doesn't have the wine cellar. They have the four bedrooms, but maybe they don't have those things. Great structurally sound house, but they don't have what Alabama has. They don't have what Clemson has. The same kind of goes for neighborhood, too. Honestly, it'll go probably throughout our, all of our neighborhoods. All these teams aren't created equal. And now that we've kind of established that why why we put Oklahoma in the first group, going into that second group, we, didn't, we threw out some names on Monday, but we didn't really agree on it or lock down anything. It seems like we're in agreement on Georgia, Florida, LSU, and Oregon, right? Uh, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Oregon. I would say yes. I think there's an interesting discussion to have about LSU, but yeah, let's let's say we agree on those four. Before we get more uh, deeper into this, these are, I'm thinking in crafting this neighborhood, these are the annual playoff contenders. We said the first group was the annual national title contenders, and those are teams that are annual playoff participants. Yeah, some of those teams might miss it. Alabama missed it last year, but every single year, generally as high as you can get, those are annual playoff participants. Neighborhood number two here is annual playoff contenders. They're in that conversation every single year or just about every year, you know, 75% of the time, 80% of the time, or maybe more importantly, they're capable of making the playoff. If we can sit here in August looking ahead to the season, we can say that these teams every single year, or at least 90% of the year, 80% of the year, or something like that, we can say they have a shot at making the playoff. And we, like we said, we have Georgia in that second neighborhood. Let me ask you this. If you flip conferences, everything else remains the same. Georgia and Oklahoma trade conferences for this entire decade. Is Oklahoma still above Georgia in these neighborhoods? Great question. Um, I say no. I say no, too, yeah, because I've got to think that Georgia would have made the playoff more at the very least. Just at the start of this conversation, you've got to give Georgia at least one, maybe two or three more playoff appearances. In the SEC, you're always going to have, I mean, they've had Alabama for the last 11 years now be in that that upper tier of college football, top three, four teams. And they've also had what Oklahoma hasn't had, where we've had teams come up and challenge Oklahoma. We've talked about this a couple of different weeks. TCU will come up and challenge them and then go back down. Baylor will come up and challenge them and then go back down. Maybe Texas will do that at some point. In the SEC, you have that mainstay in Alabama. You have that mainstay there, but then you also have a team like LSU. Last year was an anomaly. I mean, that was the best team in college football history, in my opinion. But still, you're going to have Alabama sitting there all the time, and then you're going to have one, two, maybe three teams that come up in the way that TCU or Baylor or a Kansas State or maybe it's an Iowa State this year, 
that comes up and challenges them where Georgia has to get through all that mess. So anyways, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Oregon, you wanted to go deeper into this neighborhood. I do, because I, I think it's it's interesting. You and I were discussing uh, the possibility of where this neighborhood ends. And I think originally when I was sort of doing out, uh, doing some of the planning for, for this idea and how many neighborhoods I thought there were and where they started and where they ended and all that stuff, I was thinking of a, a second neighborhood that's sort of the top 15. It's just kind of that area. That, that doesn't necessarily define them. But when I say top 15, you kind of know what I'm talking about and who I'm talking about. And I'm wondering now if it wouldn't be more appropriate to make this group even smaller. Uh, because you could really split the top 15, that kind of area, into, like we said, teams that are going to annually compete for one of those playoff spots and be in position to make a run at it in November. And then teams on the back half of that where they're major players in college football they're you know A and B level brands. They're big time. They command a lot of eyeballs, but maybe not necessarily on an annual level. Are they in position to go after a playoff spot? How does that? How, how can we have that conversation? I guess with can we? We can both agree that George is in this group, hands down. We don't even need to talk about them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is Florida also in that group? We don't need to talk about them, even though Florida hasn't made the playoff. I like Florida a lot moving forward. I think that you do maybe not quite as much. Do we even need to talk about Florida? Uh, I think you can make a brief mention of them to say this. You and I are both high on them. We like where they're going. We think they have a good head coach. We think that the recruiting is there. We think that the path is, is very easy to see. But this is still kind of a projection, right? And, and you know, look at the last five years. Look at the last ten years. Florida hasn't really been in position to be a national sort of playoff level team since Tebow, if you really want to break it down. So to some degree, putting them in this second neighborhood, this, you know, you're not Alabama, but you're that very next group, putting there, putting them there is a little bit of a projection. I'm comfortable doing it if you are, but I do think that even now we're, we're maybe starting to bend our own rules a little bit. I think we are bending our own rules a little bit, and I think that it is the projection. Now I'm looking at our teams here and looking at what I've kind of laid out for the next few groups. I don't know if there's another team that we're relying so heavily on the unknown. We talked a lot about the prove-it factor on Monday with Oklahoma. They haven't proved that they can get back to the national championship game and win it. Kind of the same as Ohio State, and we both like where Ryan Day is going. We think that they will prove it here soon, but... In terms of Florida, they haven't proven it. For almost an entire decade, they haven't proven that their their um, results can match the talent that's on the field. I think it will happen this decade. But is there another team looking down at your projected one, two, three, or even four neighborhoods where we're relying so heavily on the potential of the program? I don't see another one. Uh, we talked briefly about Notre Dame last week, and that's... That's one where I don't want to say you're relying solely on on potential because they've done some things in the very recent past, but it is, I think, really hard with them to separate maybe the brand power and the historical legacy from the here and now with what exactly are you getting from Brian Kelly from that recruiting class, 
from the from the unique scheduling that they get. Uh, I, I'm comfortable, I think, where I have them, which if you missed the last uh, episode, is in this 2-3 group. I think there's a case that they should be in the 3-4 group. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm comfortable with them, even though I think you almost have to trust that they could they have another gear that they haven't hit uh and, and be okay with the fact that they might never hit it i'm comfortable when you first said notre dame on monday i was a little surprised i'm not sure if i disagreed that much just because your comments a week ago saying that you don't believe notre dame's a top 25 team so i was surprised that you had notre dame in there but i thought about it i'm comfortable putting notre dame at the bottom of this second neighborhood but I'll, we'll get back to that in a second i think that the comparison with florida and notre dame in my opinion the jump that Florida has to take from where they are now to being even in the playoff, or let's say, let's say, let's say winning a national championship, for where Florida is now to win a national championship, I don't think that jump is nearly as big as Notre Dame going from where they are now to win a national championship, even though Notre Dame has been better, more consistent. They've been in the playoff. They have the more of a prove it than Florida does over the last 10 years. But I think the jump for Notre Dame to get to become a national champion is enormous. And I don't ever see them taking that in the near future, whereas I can totally see it with Florida. Is that fair? I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. And on some level, I agree with it. And then on the other hand, like Florida hasn't even made an SEC championship game. You know, <laughs> like they're it's not like uh, I, I think. You know, when, when we think about Florida and Auburn, I think a lot of people, I think both of us included, are probably higher on Florida right now than we are on Auburn. But Auburn's been way more successful in the past, uh, in the recent past anyway. So it, it's, it, it is a lot of projection with Florida, and I think that's what their brand is right now. And I think this is what happens, I think, with coaches. You know, we, we value how good the coach is and what the ceiling is with an individual coach so highly that when we look at Florida and we see their situation, we go, okay, well, we think we know we can get there. We think we know that Florida can win a national championship, even though there's no data to suggest it at all. But I agree with you that that they're capable of that. That's That's the confusing thing about this. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, this is, I don't even know what percentage we're talking coaches here. It's it's high. When we're talking about the next decade, I mean, you're you're relying on the coach. You talked about how much you like Lincoln Riley moving forward, and which I I don't dislike him. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But that was the reason, well, the, one of the main reasons why you put Oklahoma in that first neighborhood, and that is completely fair. The yeah. same goes for Gus Malzahn versus Dan. I mean, is Gus Malzahn going to be Auburn head coach in three years? I don't if know. If you give me one of those choices, I'm saying no. Yeah, statistically, he's not. Like, if you look at the, the shelf life on coaches that aren't named, like, Saban or Sweeney, I mean, it's it's low. And Dan Mullen's going to be a Florida head coach in three years. Can, I mean, yes, sure, something off the field could happen. They could totally shit the bed. I don't see that happening. But if I'm taking yes or no on Dan Mullen, I am very confidently saying yes on Gus Malzahn, so we'll say going into, he gets three more years. So going into 2023, is he going to be Auburn head coach? No, I would even say no way. I don't think he's going to do that. Even with the buyout after three years, it's still high. I don't think he's going to be there. So that's more of a confidence that Gus Malzahn, I don't, I don't see the offensive guru thing that we still kind of throw around for Gus Malzahn. I don't see that at all. I don't see the creativity of what he did to get himself in this position. Therefore, he doesn't have my trust. He doesn't have the prove-it factor 
for me and all. I mean, when was the last time they were in SEC championship game? And that was, I think that was the Missouri year. I think that was 2013 when Missouri was in a back-to-back years. Hold on. No, they, they played for the Nash, the SEC championship the year that Alabama made the playoff as the four seed. That was only a couple years ago. You're right. 20 was that 2017? God, how did I forget that? Yeah, that was the 11 and one uh, Alabama year. Yeah, they Alabama lost in the Iron Bowl, but then gets in and wins the national championship. Wow, that's embarrassing. Anyways, we'll get the what? editor to scrub that part out, make you sound real. Yeah, smart. hey, can we get can we get that out? Yeah, we're gonna get that out. Where are we at on Oregon then? Or do you want to have the LSU conversation? I'm fine with putting LSU in there. I don't. I mean, talk about projecting moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen with LSU. It's the same thing that we've talked about so many times with Ed Orgeron. We don't really know what to do with him because he did put together the best team in college football history. Is he a top five coach, top 10 coach? Probably not. But what he did gives him the benefit of the doubt. So I'm fine with putting LSU in there just because I don't know what else to do with them. And then Oregon, I think we're also projecting there. Let's stay in the SEC since we're already here. We can do Oregon in a minute. I think with LSU, and this is not going to surprise our regular listeners because this is just kind of where I'm at, and I've I've talked around this before. I, I just don't think what Ellis did, what LSU did last year, is repeatable. I think it was one of the greatest runs we've ever seen. Everybody associated with it deserves immense credit from you know from the head coach all the way on down, right? So I, I don't want to take anything away from 2019 because it really was incredible to watch. I just don't think that's going to happen again for any number of reasons that we've outlined in previous episodes. So do I think that LSU is a annual playoff contender? Are they annually in position to run after a playoff bid in November? No, I don't think they've been that team. Maybe the momentum of a national championship puts them there, but LSU is a unique conversation in this landscape that we're building because you're basically putting your chips in one of two stacks. Do you think that 2019 was a sliding doors moment to use Bill Simmons terminology? Do you think that it's going to change their fortunes for the next decade and put them back on track to be this preeminent program, one of the three or four best programs in college football, or do you think it's their peak? I kind of think it's their peak. And I think everything they do from here is probably going to be somewhat less than what they did last year. Doesn't mean they can't have really great highs. Doesn't mean they can't win another national championship. But I think last year was the peak. So I think neighborhood three is probably a safer place to put them versus neighborhood two. I think that it sucks that that year, just for this exercise, that that year happened and now we're doing it. I want to see how LSU bounces back. I want to see what they do after a mass exodus that Alabama has dealt with, that Clemson has dealt with, that Ohio State has dealt with, that Oklahoma has dealt with. All these teams have done it. They've all had mass exoduses. I mean, we... I don't. I, I would argue not like this, though. I would argue nobody has had a massive depletion like this in the last I, 10 years. My I, Yes, okay. I'll listen to that argument. That's not really... My entire point, though, my point is I want to see how they deal with it. We don't know how that. Yes. Is it more likely this is going to be the peak? Of course it is. I mean, I think that was the best team in college football history. Could they win another national championship in the next few years and have that team not be as good as 2019? Yes, that is a very possible scenario. I want to give LSU another year, and that's why I would I would like to reward them for putting together that team by putting them in this second neighborhood 
because I don't I don't want to make a judgment based on this year because I have no idea. And this is a horrible, horrible year to do it because they're working in all these new pieces in a off season that basically they couldn't do anything just like every other team. So it's going to be really hard to judge how they bounce back from this if they go seven and five. Are we saying, yeah, they can't do it because they lost so many players, they can't rebuild, Ed Orgeron can't do this and this and that? Or is it they win 7-5 and five because of a tough offseason? So I want to give them a year to show it. You're not comfortable with me putting them in the bottom of neighborhood two because of that. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I see the argument. I think I would put them in three personally, but I don't think you're wrong to put them sort of on the back half of neighborhood two. I, don't, I think that's fine. I want them in two. Will you give them to me in two? Sure. Will you give me pitch perfect two in two? No. What about Oregon? Where are we at with them? Because it seems like the Oregon conversation, we touched on it briefly with Clemson, the state of the ACC, now the state of the Pac-12. There is potential in the Pac-12, but, God, it doesn't seem like anybody is anywhere near being an annual challenger to Oregon, even though Utah kind of came up last year. I think they could do it again. Uh, Maybe USC gets somebody in there next year. That, like you said, is very hard to project, and I think the state of the Pac-12 makes Oregon the annual playoff contender just about every single—I mean, they're they're going to be losing a whole bunch of guys. Yes, they have the best offensive lineman in the country probably, but they lost three or four—I think it was four really darn good offensive line starters, but they've rebuilt their defense in a couple of years. I'm, I'm ready to give them the benefit of the doubt, not just because of the Pac-12, the state of the Pac-12, but because of what Mario Cristobal has done recruiting, getting guys like Kayvon Thibodeau in there, getting this, these secondary players in there to where they can build not only a team that can potentially dominate in the Pac-12 for the next, I guess, decade, but also one of the four or five best teams in college football. Where does the state of the Pac-12 factor into this for you? I think it has to be big because Oregon is the top program in the conference. And if you don't have a ton of challengers to your... There's not even a Tier 2. Is there a Tier 2 in the Pac-12? I think I could argue Oregon's Tier 2. No, 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 sorry. Just the Pac-12. If we're just talking about the Pac-12 here, Oregon is Tier 1 in the Pac-12. I understand what you're saying. Is there even a Tier 2? I don't... Is there a Tier 3, for God's sakes? Is Utah in Tier 3? Stanford in Tier 3? But there's not a Tier 2. I don't think it's there, just like in the Big 12. I don't think there's a Tier 2 in the Big 12. You don't think they're if if we're 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 scrubbing the national conversation for a minute. We're just, just talking about just the Pac twelve. The Pac twelve. You don't think there is a a semi consistent program behind Oregon? You think the gap is that big? I want to see how Stanford rebounds after last season and how much injuries played into that. If they can come back and go ten and two this year, sure. I'm I'm fine with saying they're in, in tier two if. Arizona State can use all these California kids and take the next step, sure. But no, who who's in Tier 2 in the Pac-12? I think it's easy to hear this and think I'm I'm just saying this because of what's happened in the recent past, but I think it's Utah because of what they can do in recruiting and, and the, the, the bodies that they get are unique to the Pac-12, and I, I think that puts them in Tier 2. Nationally, are you fine with Oregon being in this second neighborhood as an annual playoff contender? Every single season, they're going to be in that conversation. They might not make it every year. They might only make it half the time, but they're in that conversation every single year, just like Florida is, just like Georgia is, and you gave me LSU. Across three head coaches now, they have showed us 
that they are nationally relevant, that they are consistently a top 10 program, that they can win the Pac-12 and have a route to the playoff. Uh, they, yeah, they, I think they're a tier two program. And I think it's partially because the Pac-12 is not the SEC. If there were four top 15 programs in the Pac-12, I think it would be a harder case to prosecute that Oregon lives in this second neighborhood. Uh, because it matters what's around you and how, how much pushback you get on a week-to-week basis. Uh, but Oregon, if it maintains sort of where it has been, and there's no dramatic changes in the makeup of the Pac-12, every year they're going to be in position to make a run at the playoff. And maybe one of these years, uh, they'll, they'll get the bounces and they'll have things go their way. I don't think it's going to be this year when you look at their schedule, but I still think they live in that neighborhood. Are we now just looking at Notre Dame for this second neighborhood, or is there another team or two you want to bring into this? I don't think there's another team or two. I think yesterday I mentioned, do we talk about Penn State? You had said, well, you know, is Wisconsin in this? Maybe. Could we talk about Auburn? I don't think so. Is there another team that you want to bring into this conversation, or is Notre Dame going to be the fifth and final team? I think after Notre I think the next ones to examine in no particular order are Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Penn State. So the three that you just said. I don't know where they fall. Maybe that's something uh, that you should weigh in on. But I think those are the next three in some order to figure out where they go. I don't think Penn State's in there. I think we take them out right away. They haven't shown me enough to win the big games. Wisconsin has won the big games. I mean, they've beaten some pretty darn good teams. I don't think Penn State Regularly playing for conference championships, Wisconsin. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. So we'll talk Wisconsin and Notre Dame here. Is Notre Dame in this neighborhood? They've shown us enough over the last three years where they're in that playoff conversation. After that four-win season, what was that, in 2016, I believe? After that four-win season and Brian Kelly made all those changes, they've been in that conversation. And yes, we can all laugh at them just getting pummeled in the playoff and showing the gap there. But now if we're talking about Notre Dame being the fifth team in this second neighborhood, that's a long, long ways from the top of that first neighborhood. Clemson and Alabama are sitting over there in their mansions and Notre Dame's in a nice three-bedroom rambler kind of on a corner lot. Are we fine with Notre Dame being in there because they've been in that conversation now for three straight years? And I think the uniqueness of how they play football gives them an edge here. I, I think that's I really do think that is a factor. When well, you, I think you nailed it yesterday when you said they have all the ingredients for a national championship, and that's what, or I guess a playoff conversation in this case, that's where I think the separation is between them and Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin has fielded far better teams for, God, 90% of the last three decades, I think that Wisconsin has been missing that thing, and they showed a little bit of it last year. We can all look at that Illinois game, but then after that Illinois game, that Wisconsin offense did a lot of things that we haven't seen them do. Paul Chris grew some balls in the last second half of the season that we haven't seen any Wisconsin coach do for a really, really long time. So maybe they are getting that extra thing that they've been missing but I think that's where Notre Dame still sits above them going into the next decade. I could see Notre Dame making the playoff, I don't know, three or four times this decade. I could see Wisconsin doing it once or twice. I would have Notre Dame above Wisconsin. I would put Notre Dame in the second neighborhood. If you want to put Wisconsin there, I'm fine with it. Otherwise, I would put Wisconsin at the very, very top of the third one. And maybe the practical difference there is Ohio State. Notre Dame doesn't have to beat Ohio State to get into the playoff. Wisconsin does. 
So maybe that's a factor too. I, I think if you want to say Notre Dame's the last neighbor, neighborhood two house, Wisconsin is the first in neighborhood three, I, I'm coached. I'm good with that. I like that. And I don't think the gap is very big. I think the gap and how we're doing this between Oklahoma and Georgia is pretty significant. But I think the gap as we go down here now, Notre Dame to Wisconsin, extremely, extremely minimal. Okay, so we're good on neighborhood two. Again, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Oregon, Notre Dame. Anything else to add there before we hop into three? I don't think so. Wisconsin at the top of three. Do we need to talk about Wisconsin any more than where they're at? No, I think we just, I think we nailed it. Let's get down to two teams that we've mentioned. You mentioned Auburn last week. Penn State came up. Penn State came up again this week. Are those two teams the two teams right below Wisconsin? I don't want to get into like a total, just a ranking of teams here because that's not what we're doing. But are there any other teams that are very, very clearly at the top of the third neighborhood you want to bring up? Top of the third neighborhood. Do you want to bring Utah into that conversation? I would be fine with bringing Kansas into that conversation, yes. Central Michigan. Maybe bring the Chippewas in. Um, San Jose State might be in this conversation as well. Uh, we are, of course, kidding, and maybe this isn't the right time to ask this question, but I was thinking about this during prep for this podcast episode, so maybe you want to put a pin in this, come back to this later. I don't know, but I'm going to ask it now. Now that we are into the third neighborhood, it's probably time to start thinking about this hypothetical question. Where would North Dakota State be? God, that's a good question. I know. And if like maybe we maybe we gotta come back to that later, but I wanna They're not to in see. three, but I think that how we're gonna lay the foundation for four, let's have that conversation. Because I think we do have a few FCS listeners. So I'm curious where they would fall. We've all kind of like in those casual polls that you'll see on Twitter, like where what would North Dakota State be? Would they be an annual top ten team? Would they be an annual top twenty five team? Would they be outside of you know the top twenty five, top forty? generally it seems like people said they would be a fringe top 25 team. And I think that when we get down into the middle of this fourth neighborhood with how we're going to lay the foundation, that's maybe when we could have that conversation for them. Does that seem fair? Uh, it does. So staying in three, we you just mentioned a couple. Uh, we, Wisconsin sort of with the with the best house in the neighborhood. We've got Auburn. We've got Penn State. Who else do you do you think belongs in this neighborhood that I've kind of jotted down in my notes as major players? These are ranked teams. These are teams that are definitely making the Sports Center highlight package, is how I might put it. I have four here and I'm open to more, but I'm pretty stuck on these four being in this neighborhood. A lot of potential here that we're talking about. Michigan, Texas AM, Utah, and Stanford. Which one are you buying the most out of those that where you're fine keeping them in? Michigan, Texas A&M, Utah, and Stanford. I think it's Michigan. Uh, and we dunk on Michigan a lot on this podcast, but that's more about expectations versus reality and not a commentary on what they are as a program. They're still a good program. They're, they're not, still really goddamn good. Yeah, like They're not, not great, but they're good. They're still a good team that had that reliably produces good teams. And yeah, it doesn't look great when you get smashed against Ohio State, but hey, Ohio State's really damn good. So Michigan's in there. You're fine with that one. Yeah, maybe Michigan should just pick a new rival. Like maybe that's how they get out of all of this is they just they stop using Ohio State, a neighborhood one house, as their measuring stick and they pick somebody more appropriate like maybe Penn State. Maybe Indiana. Maybe Indiana. <laughs> Let's go down to Texas A&M then because we also dunk on Texas A&M a lot on this show. I think the potential is there, and even though I'm not the world's 
biggest Jimbo Fisher fan because he just gets this pass, apparently, for running Florida State in the ground before he left. But when you have the resources and investments that you do when you're in that type of part of the country with the recruiting that's within, what, a two-hour drive, there's no denying that Texas A&M is kind of in that same neighborhood of potential as Michigan is. Both those teams, if you told me right now, both those teams are going to make two or three playoff appearances this decade, I'd say fine. I'd be shocked if you told me six or seven or that one of them will win multiple national championships. But I would say that between those two teams, if you told me three to four playoff appearances this decade, I would say okay. You would, you, you would be okay if somebody told you three to four playoff appearances this decade for Texas A&M. Total. Texas A&M and Michigan. Oh, okay. For both of them combined. Yeah, Texas A&M okay. is not going to 40% of the playoffs. I was going to say, that is a shocking Christ, prediction. No, no combined. Um, I, I see the potential both for this year and for the next 10 years, especially depending on how long Jimbo wants to stay there. I think my thing with Texas A&M is they've had one 10-win season in the last 20 years. So it's really hard for me to go, yeah, this is this is a top 20 program. This is a program that maybe once every, once every recruiting class is going to be a serious playoff contender. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I see how they could get there. That's where we're really starting to project, and I don't know if... I mean, if they're in Neighborhood 3, I've got to think it's the back end of Neighborhood 3. Okay, who would be above them? Would Utah be above them? Would Stanford be above them? I'd be fine with both of them putting above them. Like I said, I want to do a wait and see on Stanford. I am worried going into this season that they're not going to be much better than a top 30 to 40 team. They're not going to be in that conversation for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, where they live for so many years both in the win total and the ranking. But I think that I have that much trust in David Shaw where he's going to get them back there and he's not going to leave. He's not going to the NFL and he's going to stay there for the next 20 years and win 10 to 12 games every single year, make a playoff appearances once every seven or eight years. Same for Utah. I trust Kyle Whittingham to do that. Yeah, I don't trust Jimbo at all. Stanford the last 10 years... Uh, 12 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins, 11 wins, 8 wins, 12 wins, 10 wins, 9 wins, 9 wins, and then they go 4-8 last year. It's unbelievable consistency that we just don't talk about. Yeah, and I mean, Stanford, they just don't get to recruit the same type of player as everybody else do, does because they have that added level of educational toughness. So they have added difficulty on top of how hard it is to recruit uh, maybe to you know Northern California versus other locations. So the fact that they have that level of consistency on top of the other difficulties they have to face is really impressive. And like you said, we don't talk about that enough. So you're comfortable putting Stanford in three, it seems like. I am. It's kind of, they're in that LSU boat in that just based on when we're doing this and the season that they just had, it makes it really hard to pick a lane for them, albeit for totally different reasons than LSU. But I've got to think that they're not going to be 4-8 and eight again. Like We just have too much respect for David Shaw, and there's way too much evidence that they're a top program to really put them anywhere else besides this place. Does the same go for Utah for you? Because I'm fine with Utah being right at where Stanford is. I trust Kyle Whittingham. I trust Utah. Are they going to be a top 10 team every year? Probably not. 
but they're going to be in that playoff. Con- they're going to have a year like they had last year every five years, maybe. And Kyle Whittingham clearly isn't going anywhere. Could he? Sure. I don't know if he's going to leave anytime soon, but I trust him to do what he's been doing for the last, last year, I think it was year 15. I trust him to do that for the next seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm comfortable putting Utah at the third neighborhood. Great. Yeah, is, I'm, I'm good. Is with there that. another team or are we just getting down to Texas A&M bringing up the rear if you're comfortable with that in this neighborhood? I'm fine with them being the last house on the block. So you don't need to talk. I mean, I have, we're not going to get into neighborhood four. We'll, we'll save that for next week, but you are, you're fine with not having the conversation of where is Iowa? Where is USC, Oklahoma state, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia tech, Kentucky, Baylor group of five teams. Where is Cincinnati fall? Where does UCF fall? Where is Memphis fall? Boise state. You're fine with wrapping that up after A&M and not getting into anybody else? Uh, I, I think so with one exception. And and you you just going through that list kind of made me think this way. So I'm, I'm just going to talk out loud here. Don't we have to put Texas and Texas A&M in the same neighborhood? No, we don't. Tell me why we don't. Because if you want to talk about potential, they both have really high potential. You want to talk about coaches, they both have pretty good coaches. You want to talk about budgets, you want to talk about athletic departments, you want to talk about you know conference power and standing and all of these things. They are almost identical. Texas A&M hasn't really done that much in the last five or ten years. The University of Texas really hasn't done that much in the last five or ten years. How are they not the same? I think there is greater... I mean, talk about gaps. We just talked about gaps with Florida and Notre Dame. I think that there is a bigger gap for Texas to Oklahoma because you're probably not making the playoff in the Big 12. Maybe you could go 12-0 in the regular season and then lose you know, by three points in the Big 12 championship game, get two teams in, or some weird thing could happen. But generally, you need to beat Oklahoma twice to get into the playoff. Since we both don't think Lincoln Riley is going anywhere soon, I don't see that happening, especially with Tom Herman leading Texas. I think there's a better chance that when Saban retires, we'll see what happens with the rest of the West. I don't see that big of an obstacle ahead of AM. Sure, for the next three or four years, absolutely. Saban's not going anywhere anytime soon, but there's a really good chance the back half of the decade, Saban won't be there, and there will be an opening for AM. To be very clear, I don't trust Jimbo. I don't trust AM, but I don't trust Tom Herman. I don't trust Texas. There was no trust for any of those programs there. I just think there's better potential for them closing the gap or I guess just taking over with that door being open in the SEC West than Texas actually reaching Oklahoma and passing them comfortably, beating them twice a year, most years. Here's my counter argument. Texas, I th- I think it's it's a great note by you to point out that Texas is the clear number two behind Oklahoma. And they have to beat Oklahoma at least once and probably twice to get into the playoff. Texas A&M is the sixth SEC team that we have mentioned, and the fourth from the SEC West. How do they not have just as difficult, if not a more difficult path to the playoff? I get that the SEC can get two teams in. I get that they have that ability probably more so than any other conference, but that's still a lot to overcome for A&M, even if you take Saban and Alabama out of the equation. I'm coming around a little bit because let's be honest, Texas is a 
top 10 job in college football. There's top 10 potential there. It hasn't been realized in a really, really long time. We talked about going into, we looked back, we tried to guess going into this decade, last decade, would they have been in the first neighborhood? And yeah, probably. Since then, they haven't realized any of that potential. I would be fine putting them with A&M alongside A&M. They're kind of like splitting a townhouse. Like one, a duplex, I guess. A really, really nice duplex. A high-end duplex. You convinced me. So because they're splitting a duplex, does that mean they're on completely equal footing in that neighborhood? Or do we have to put one ahead of the other? Because that's that's now the, an even more interesting question is, like if you had to buy futures in Texas or A&M, like oh, which one I don't are you even, picking? Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. That just sounds terrible. An entire episode or even 10 minutes talking about buying futures on one of these two teams? It's like 20 seconds. What are, you, what are you talking about an entire episode? What What does the future say? What, what am I betting on? You have to buy stock in one of those programs. Just who at the end of the decade has the better decade? Yeah, who's got the better, better resume 10 years from now? I think it's Texas, but not because of Tom Herman. I think Tom Andrew Herman, Doughty loves the Longhorns. You heard it here first. Let's wrap this. Can't believe this is like when you baited me into talking about Texas two weeks ago. I don't know what you're talking about. So we are putting Texas in the third neighborhood. I'm fine with that. I think you make a good point. I th- I don't think you have to put Texas in the third neighborhood. I think you have to put Texas in the same neighborhood as A&M. So if you want to move them both to the top of four, if you want to move them both to the bottom of three, I'm good with either. But I think they are way too similar to not have in the same place. And looking back, I mean, we haven't finalized neighborhoods four and whatever down below that but looking at those teams that i was going to put them in and yes again the first or second neighborhood or first or second house in that neighborhood can be a hell of a lot better than the bottom one but let's be honest texas is not the same type of job as kentucky is as baylor is as like tennessee's in their usc minnesota those type of teams it's not they haven't performed as well as most of those teams over the last decade but the potential moving forward it's just not so I think they are in that second neighborhood with Wisconsin, Penn State, Auburn, Michigan, Stanford, Utah, A&M, and Texas. We went into this telling ourselves we weren't really going to rank these teams. It didn't matter. It was just neighborhoods. But it seems like we just essentially ranked those teams in the third neighborhood top to bottom. Yeah, and, and I think with the with the top three neighborhoods in particular, the neighborhoods are small enough that you can kind of do this, right? You can kind of go through each team when there's only eight Four's going to get a little messy and then five, six. Five, Five and anything beyond that, yeah, forget about it. We're, we're going to be describing a class of team, not individual teams. All right, that was episode two in this College Football Neighborhood Series. We'll be back on Monday with episode three. We hope you come back too. In the meantime, tweet us uh, your neighborhoods at High Motor Pod. We would love to see those. Talk about some disagreements on the show if you have any. Thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter Cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one Before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in